Hello, everybody, and welcome to another session of Think Human. We are revisiting Intent Data again this month. Alex, who is sitting off stage in the green room at the moment, is back and is much better, thankfully. He obviously wasn't able to join us last month. And this session is going to be focused on sales and how you can get an unfair advantage with Intent Data. So my name is Riaz Kanani. I am the founder and CEO of Radiate B2B. I'm your host for today, and I'll bring Alex in in a second. But some quick housekeeping before we get started. Thank you for joining us. Whenever we do these things, we are looking at a screen rather than at your faces. And so please do share any emojis or thoughts in the chat. We do see them. We'll take questions as we go along. Put your questions into the chat and we will pull them in to the conversation. So just before I bring Alex in, a quick few words about me and Radiate. My background has been 20 years in ad tech, martech, sales tech, so go-to-market technology platforms, basically. I've worked with big brands, small brands, and been lucky enough to have a few exits along the way. Um, and about four or five years ago, I came back to build another called Radiate B2B. And what we do is we help sales teams to know exactly who they should be speaking to today. We use intent data, we provide intent data for smaller, mid-sized companies that are selling to enterprise and the aim being to maximize the performance of your sales teams. With that said, let's dive into the session. Let me bring in Alex. Alex, welcome. Hello, hello. Good to be here. Yes, thank you for joining us. Why don't you introduce yourself to get us started and then we can dive in to the topic. Yeah, so Alex from Sapiro, 22 years in B2B sales and marketing. I'd say two halves to that. The first half as an individual contributor, as a sales rep. Second half very much as a sales leader, building, growing sales organizations. I'd say for around 15 years, though, I've felt that kind of marketing should really be a function of sales. You may or may not. (laughs) Agree. Certainly if revenue growth is the objective. Some of the highlights in my you want to ask a question there, don't you? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bite my tongue and we will touch on it maybe a bit later. Okay. okay. Some of the highlights that I think are relevant. So, you know, in that time, built a business from kind of zero to twenty-two million dollars within a four-year period, from one to around forty people. Within a 12-month period, transformed a product-led sales approach to a more value-led approach, quadrupling the average order value. And this isn't blowing my own trumpet, but it will sound like it. But five president club wins across three different companies along the way. So, you know, I feel that wasn't a fluke if there were five and there were across three different organizations. But hopefully that helps with a conversation. Yeah, you're quite clearly, Alex, a Brit who's worked in an American business. Yeah, indeed. One was called Sales Elite. That was the UK business, but I'm I'm calling it President's Club because I think everyone's familiar yeah, with, yeah, with that. exactly. Brilliant. Yeah, I know you've got a huge amount of experience in sales and sales leadership. We've obviously been working with you for over a year now with Intent Data. And what we wanted to discuss and talk about today is really drill into Intent Data and how it looks. But before we do that, one thing is, I don't agree with you in terms of marketing reporting into sales. I think there's a part of marketing that should support sales. Now, I absolutely think sales and marketing should work together. But I think marketing should be broader than just supporting 
sales. Yeah. I've got a very blinkered view, though, right? You look at it from the sales perspective, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and you're right. In that sense, from what sales needs, marketing should absolutely be providing that, in my view. Anyway, I don't want to spend an hour talking about sales versus marketing. We will do that session again, I think, early next year. So what I want to do now is maybe set the scene a little bit. Why is it that we're seeing Intent Day come to the fore today? And what is it that you're seeing, Alex? Yeah, I think that if we look at the last 10 or so years, it's getting harder and harder to generate pipeline and new business and close rates are declining, average order values, you know, are declining, depending on which research you listen to, Gartner, Forrester, they're all saying the same thing. Not that we in sales need that to validate what's actually happening but the buyers are 70 to 90 percent of the way through their purchase decision before they invite a supplier to pitch buyers are saying they want a rep free experience they're doing their research they're speaking to their peers they're often making that shortlist before they even put their hand up and say come talk to me any enabler I nearly said tools, but we're going to come on to technology <laughs> later. But any any enabler, I think, that helps an organization understand where to look is going to save them time. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons for me why intent data is becoming or is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I've talked a bit about the dark funnel in the past, right, where you talked about sales not being contacted till 70, 90% through that that sales process and that does mean there's a lot of activity happening that's invisible to vendors one of the things we talked about in the run-up to this session was how the sales tech industry has literally caused this very problem yeah Um, do you want to expand on that i do yeah i guess so for the first sort of decade of my experience in the industry sales tech wasn't really a thing apart from crm systems but i'm not really counting that per se success was reliant entirely on your ability to build relationships and content and technology together came into the mix mid end 2000 to 2010 and we were moving to this place where we were inundated with just machine gunning content to our audience using technology and then starting to rely on technology and I feel that there's been too much reliance on sales tech to do the job that sales people should really be doing which is focusing on building meaningful relationships with people as opposed to what's my 26 point cadence of sales messaging that I'm going to automate in my sales tech. Yeah absolutely and like anything when Tech generally is an accelerator of capability. It should be. It should increase your capability, make you able to do more things. And when it works, I've watched this countless times, it shifts from that early majority to the big hump in the middle of the mainstream. And in that period, you lose a lot of the nuance around what makes sales tech in this case or marketing tech great. What are the ways you need to think about it? And it all becomes about the shortcut. And yeah. It's the same in sales tech as in marketing tech, where when something works, you use it to death until it stops working or you have to change your approach. Have we not become caught in this downward spiral of we wanting the sale and wanting the transaction? So trying to turn up the dial because it once worked yeah. as opposed to... Okay. 
actually yeah. stepping back and thinking yeah. we need to do something different. But it used to be three to five emails, wasn't it? Get a response and it's now nine to 11. Yeah. And let's face it, if you've emailed somebody nine times in a short period of time, you've uh, pissed them off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think I've heard 12. I was chatting to, at a conference last month and they've got a 26-point message cadence as part yeah. of their approach. Companies doing that, are hoping to find that percentage of people that are in market, which is between 1% and 5% yeah. of any given territory. And if you haven't built a relationship with that 1% to 5%, they're not going to, they're unlikely to give you an opportunity to pitch yeah. anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I think, And I think that's also partially due to the changing demographics of buyers, the newer buyers that are becoming decision makers are much more they've grown up with the internet they understand how to research and they talk a lot digitally with their peers and and so they're much more sophisticated in terms of their digital buying capabilities if you like Um, and less likely to want to speak to a salesman as well yeah that's right i think that stat of the majority of people not wanting to talk to a sales rep is interesting and it's led to obviously a product-led growth conversation that's been happening in the industry and i actually think when it comes to enterprise sales what people really mean is they don't want to be sold to it, it's not that they don't want to talk to a salesperson what they want to do is they want to talk to somebody who actually will help them and support them and get yeah. to their answer quicker and so when you ask slightly different questions you get more interesting answers yeah indeed it's that 83 percent of buyers wanting a rep free buying experience in that same research 79 percent say they want the ability to ask human beings questions you're touching on a, a really important topic today which is the role of the salesperson the persona and the profile of this of the traditional salesperson i think yeah. is changing from sales to guide and buyers want to be guided through certainly in complex b2b sales buyers want to be guided through the purchase process because it's as equally hard to buy as it is for us to sell that's right and actually kyle over at clary posted on linkedin um a quote from a coo who was talking to which talked about sales people not asking or other than asking what are the problems that they have but actually telling them what problems they should be thinking about is an issue for them and so it is that that advisor role in a way that consultative role especially and again we're focusing on enterprise sales here not other sales techniques yeah brent adamson talks about this a lot does he challenger in terms of teaching your buyer a new perspective you know, to them things about their business that they don't yet know about. And I do think that key, especially when we're seeking to build rapport and trust quickly within yeah. when we meet new people. But we're also, we've from a marketing perspective, when I think about pipeline, when we bring this to, to kind of pipeline, yeah. I think marketers have now overdone it with that insight-led approach Oh, if that's what we need to do, let's teach everybody. Let's teach everybody within our target audience. But the problem is every company is now doing that. So the point of differentiation becomes diluted. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've always I've been of the view for a while now that the way you do B2B marketing 
is having to change just as much as the B2B sales side. Mark's got a question talking about what is your message to salespeople working with their partner managers? Can you comment on the value partnerships have on the challenger sale for the salesperson? I can tell you a bit of a story from my time within a big corporate. And I don't know if this specifically answers the question, Mark. So maybe come back to it if it doesn't. But I think that the the partner function within an organization needs to be very tightly aligned to the go-to-market sales strategy. And that might just be taken as a given, but from my experience, it isn't. And if you've designed that value proposition and you've identified the ideal customer profile, the ideal partner profile, and you're recruiting partners that are aligned to that that sales go-to-market strategy, the two functions should work in harmony very much like the sales and marketing alignment piece. It's when one sort of starts to go off and do their own thing that that has an adverse effect. In terms of challenger, back to my days when I was trying to help recruit partners that that I wanted to be aligned, you know, strategic partners to be aligned to our, our go-to-market sales strategy at the time, there was a lot of education that we would do even as a sales team with those partners to help them understand how to position our technology. And in some cases, teach them how to provide services that supported the technology. And if we were able to do that successfully with partners, we were more they were more likely to become a strategic partner that would then deliver a lot more uh, with us together. Yeah, it's, it, that is a key thing, isn't it? Is that, that is the advantage of working with partners is that you get the ability to have a closer relationship with the prospect without actually having that in place because you've got that relationship between the partner and the prospect. Yeah, and now re- rereading, it's difficult to read whilst you're talking, but now rereading Mark's question, I think any organisation that is going through the challenger sale training should be involved in that training. In my opinion, it's not just sales that should be trained on the challenger sale. It's all customer-facing, revenue-facing teams within the organization that really need to understand how you teach, tailor and take control of certain conversations and how you position value. Great, great. Okay, I want to switch to the focus, obviously, of today's session on intent data. It probably makes sense to start with a definition of what intent data is. You've got both first party intent where you've got people interacting with your content anonymously through to publisher type content where you're monitoring anonymous activity across publishers those are the two that radiate focuses on you've then got event data attendant but then you've also got things like community review websites like g2 which also provide intent and they all have their place i think and they all give different pieces of information and our goal at radiate is actually to try and combine all this together the idea of course being behind intent data that you can identify um, signals that suggests there's a level of intent or level of interest there that might make it more likely that they are interested in having a conversation so it reminds me of my entire kind of b2b sales career has been selling marketing advertising technology i feel like I'm, i've got a bit of a head start on this topic anyway yeah. the holy grail for marketers was to create 
is to create a 360 degree view of the customer and understand that from both the known customer world as well as the anonymized world. And I think the same is true for B2B. I'd love to have the insight to understand prospective customer intent. What is it that my ideal customers are interested in? What is it that they're doing? Which event have they been to? Was I at the same event? Bringing all of that together in in one view is, I think, incredibly uh, very powerful. Yeah, it, it seems obvious, doesn't it, really? Now, your major focus as a business is obviously social selling. I know you have strong views on why social selling is important today and how that relates back to the environment we were just talking about. Do you want to drill into that and why yeah. it's becoming more important? Yeah, I think firstly, I should probably address the term social selling because I think it can mean different <laughs> things to different people. Yeah. A lot of people think social selling is selling on social, which it isn't in my view. Some of the things that we've spoken about before, the sales messaging and the cadences, and yeah. do you think you can just do that on LinkedIn or Twitter or any other platform and be successful? You can't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, To your point, it depends on your definition of selling, doesn't it? See, in my view, that's not selling. That's, well, abusing, maybe. (laughs) But yeah, it does depend on your definition, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And the other thing is, often I hear marketers, when I'm talking to marketers, when I, you know, talk about social selling, is, oh, okay, so yeah, we post a lot of content on LinkedIn, and we get our sales teams to share that. Again, that's not social selling for me if i was to define it or certainly try and simplify it it's it's about three things it's about your personal brand and Mm -hmm. actually thinking about how or what you want to be known for what you want to be famous for how you look when people come to your digital profile whether that's linkedin twitter guild or any other platform you might be using but also consciously developing that over time so that you're thinking about how you stand out and can be remembered. Um, The second is network growth and having a strategy and a real kind of sense of purpose about the speed in which you're growing your network, who with, who you're connecting to. And again, depending on which social platform you're using will depend on the effect that 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 can have. For example, it's really important to connect to as many people as possible within an account that you might be targeting so that you increase your visibility so that your personal brand can be seen by the people that you might be struggling to get in front of. And then the third is the third thing is around content creation. And so many sales people think it's the job of marketing or product marketing to create the content that they can then use for selling. And they're missing an opportunity They're missing an opportunity to create their own human-based content to drive engagement from the audience that they've spent so long trying to connect to, to help that audience get to know them. So that's linked to personal brand, but it's, for me, it's three things. Yeah, and that's tricky, isn't it? Because as a company, it's very easy for you to have marketing create content that you pass across to sales that's supposed to be used in exactly the same way, no edits whatsoever. And that gives control to the message. But the minute you do that, you lose that authenticity, you lose that human 
touch that you're talking about there and is it a mix of both is it where you get guidance from the product marketing teams and that to to support the salesperson alongside the salesperson also then generating their own content within a context of of your business yeah i think guidance and training and coaching are key to give to give that direction that confidence, that support to to the sales team. But equally, it's also marketing viewing it differently. Instead of the fully finished, polished article or blog or video, whatever it might be, with the understanding that you're helping, you're enabling, you're empowering the salesperson or people to then sprinkle their own kind of personality on it or human touch on it or point of view. And you can yeah. you can create the guardrails for that specific type of company or corporate content, but equally you want to give the you want to give the people the salespeople the freedom to to be creative and amplify their personal brand. Yeah. And how does intent data fit into into that? Yeah. So intent intent data is really helpful in knowing where to focus your time. And there's a bigger conversation. I think we might come onto it in terms of focus account versus volume account approach. Yeah. Depending on your strategy, we we find that using intent data together with the social selling approach can have a really positive effect. So anywhere between thirty to fifty percent increase in the meeting generation rate by using that intent data, but using it in a way that is is still relationship first, as yeah. opposed to, oh, someone's showing some sort of intent. And that means I can go and sell to them, I can go and contact them and say, hey, I noticed you're interested in X, which has the opposite effect. It goes back to the old adage of you don't propose on your first date. Yeah. So you may know there's an interest there, or you may think there's an interest there based on the intent data. But what you're saying is that first approach is still about building relationship. It's not about the hard sell. Absolutely. Yeah, you do not want to look creepy like the stalker. Yeah, it's it's like the the companies are used to identify visitors to your website and that you'd pick up the phone and there would be a 500% drop-off if you called them after the first five minutes but if you called them within that first five minutes you scared the <laughs> scared the living daylights out of them and so you almost if you weren't very careful you would lose them um, yeah uh, as a result yeah i'm surprised today to hear of companies that aren't using intent data we should also probably add depending on the maturity of your organization and how much you're investing in driving traffic to your website not every business has the luxury of lots of new traffic coming to their website every month and i talk about intent data in this context the value certainly that I've seen working with Radio B2B is that off-site intent data. When I talk about knowing where to spend time in focus account versus volume accounts, it's that complete unknown. You mentioned the dark funnel earlier. Yeah. So within the accounts that we're targeting, where are those signals? Or for that ideal customer for Sapiro, yes, client X, which companies are exhibiting 
signals, behaviours that would imply that they're interested in the product or service you offer. And they've never been to the website yet. No, they're not aware of you at all at this point. They're early in the sales process. They haven't done any research. Enough to identify. Yeah, because there's lots of solutions out there that do that sort of on-site intent based on their first-party behaviour. Yeah, What would it imply? Are they ready for a conversation? Are they ready for a call? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You talked about the volume approach versus the focus approach. Do you treat them differently? Are they treated the same, but you're just going deeper into the account for the focus? What's the difference in approach between the two? Yeah, one is far more strategic than the other. So a more more account-based marketing type approach, a one-to-one, one-to-few type approach. Is that what you're saying? Exactly that. And still in the context of an enterprise, B2B enterprise sale, you might have an understanding customer profile is, and there are quite literally thousands of companies that you could target. Yeah. And how are you approaching those and how can you contact as many of them as possible versus, right, here are 10 accounts or two accounts or 50 accounts, a smaller number of accounts that we can start to work on strategically. So what do we know about the account? How many stakeholders should we be targeting? What level of research should we be doing on the account and each of those people? What insight should we be creating with a view of teaching them back back to the conversation we were having earlier? And that requires a lot more time, a lot more focus. Yeah, and I guess this is where the intent data helps, right? Because it means you're focusing time on accounts that actually warrant that, that, exactly. that investment so one of the you've talked a bit about okay relationship first approach with following up with these accounts via the social channels what about the messaging that you're using obviously with the intent data you are getting um the topics that particular company is interested in how are you using that within messaging to then attract attention when you do shift from that initial relationship approach to more focused on what you're actually trying to introduce to them yeah so it's a constant balance between the two types right when you say messaging i'm not just thinking about the message i send to an individual messaging for me is everything around the development of your personal brand and the and the content that you're creating yeah and so certainly when you know you're not relying on the marketing department to write content for you and you're creating it yourself you can think about what you want to write about that is relevant to your target audience yeah. Personally, I've always got that in mind. And I think salespeople should have that in mind because you can talk to your prospect without talking directly to your prospect. Yeah. And again, that comes back to the dark funnel. Your audience is still seeing that content. In some cases, they're still interacting with it. Great. Direct messaging itself. I'm a big fan of keeping it relationship first especially if you are you have got a volume of contacts to go after you can afford to keep it relationship first 
and just keep the volume of messages going out without bringing the sales message in. We found that when we've tested a typical insight-led sales message with a relationship-first message, the, the rate in which we're connected with those new contacts is significantly less for the insight led approach yeah. somewhere in the region of 20 25 percent increase in engagement with the relationship led approach compared to that insight led approach and so if we're using the intent data to know where to focus then we're increasing our chances of connecting with the right people in the right companies yeah. so do you change any of the messaging based on the topics that are being shared with you or is it the same therefore for each person regardless not on the volume-based approach, but on the focused account-based approach, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. So you have different talk tracks, basically, for each and cluster or account. Try different things. And it's not just about the content you're creating and the message you're sending the individual. It's also about how you're engaging with their content, how you're engaging with... And if they don't, if they don't create their own content, how you're engaging with content that they are engaged with, whichever the digital platform. Again, not just LinkedIn or Twitter, but also Guild. Because you're you're invisible to these people unless you're proactively engaging with content that they engage with or in groups that they are part of. And the initial step is to become visible to your target audience. And a lot of companies don't have deep pockets, big budgets for continuing to run paid media campaigns to try and make the company visible so it's far more cost effective if the individuals are doing that that's absolutely right for those that don't know guild is a community platform where people can come together uh, and talk about different topics and both myself and alex actually run the b2b sales and marketing channel within there so if you are interested in becoming a part of that just message either myself or alex and uh, we can get you an invite to to join no problem at all yeah the one last thing that i am introducing from this session onwards is three questions and i'm going to ask these to every single panelist going forward the first one is how important is tech in sales yeah so i think this is a really good question the the kind of the quick answer is it depends if if it's from a sales rep perspective or a sales leader perspective okay. uh, and I, I talk a lot from personal experience i've really struggled with using sales tech effect intent data isn't re- is tech but it isn't so good sales tech isn't sales tech yeah good sales tech. <laughs> for me from a sales rep perspective what is it that I can use that will enable me to do my job better and accelerate performance? And so it's probably bits of tech that the sales rep can, can use for them to do their job better and be more successful. As a sales leader, yeah, reporting is a big thing. And the question is, how important is tech in sales? It's very important. I guess it depends which way you look at it. Yeah, exactly. It's critical, but you can get lost in it if you're not careful. Yeah, like anything. Yeah. And that's that really is the key. It's it actually I'd add to it. And maybe there 
was another topic around measurement, but it's very easy to get lost in using reporting and sales tech for reporting to measure the wrong things that then encourage the wrong behaviors from you, yeah. from your sales team. So you really do have to be careful with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, question two. What is the one thing someone should take away from today's session? The obvious answer, of course, is to speak with Riaz about radio <laughs> and Alex about Zero. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, I have no, I have nothing else. I'd like to think it's the value of intent data. Of course. Come and talk to, come and talk to either of us, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay, question three. What is your go-to book for every salesperson to read? Yeah, I don't have to think about this one too hard, to be honest, because um, Jura has been by far and away the best investment I've ever made in a book. And I would say Challenger Sale as well as the Challenger Customer. So two books that okay. that were created, written by Brent, Brent Adamson. Yeah, 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 both excellent books. I've read both as well. Maybe. Yeah, re- really good. And the Challenger Customer, what I really like about that book, the kind of the sequel, if you like, to the Challenger Sale is how it digs digs into not something that they got wrong with the challenger sale yeah but a different perspective on census within a b2b sale complex b2b it's really interesting worth checking out thank you for that alex cool with that i think that is the end of today's session so thank you to everybody for joining us and we will be along shortly with a, with another event. The next one will be in the new... Thank you, Alex, for joining us. Thanks um, for having me. With that, take care. Bye, all.